All right, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Um, you know, we got a lot happening today, a lot I want to get into today. And I will tell you, this lawsuit, I have been doing a deep, deep, big, deep dive into this lawsuit now that just got announced today. It is uh, Jerry Falwell, the president of Liberty University, against the New York Times, their reporter, their photographer. Um, what they did in this case is just so typical. Now, on the heels of, let's say, Jill Abramson's comments about the New York Times and on the heels of this Barry Weiss, I mean, scathing op-ed, an opinion editor, pushed back against the paper's leftism, blasting her colleagues in, you know, it, at, at the New York Times, unleashing constant bullying upon her, uh, literally, you know, calling her a Nazi and a racist at times. What, whatever happened to freedom of thought and ideas and expression? Um, and then you get into some of the very specific language that they lay out in this case. And it's devastating. This has all the potential to be a landmark case. Uh, you know, the New York Times published a story. Their headline, Liberty brings back its students and coronavirus too. A university reopened and students got sick. And an op-ed accusing the school of creating their, quote, own viral hotspot. They reported uh, after, that after reopening, quote, nearly a dozen students were sick with COVID symptoms, claiming that they assured state and local governments that they would abide by the government's pandemic directives, and they did not. Uh, and they portrayed us as the only university who have allowed students re to return who felt that they needed to do so. Here's the problem. Everything they printed was a lie. Everything they printed was false. Why do I say the New York Toilet Paper Times? You know, they basically had two columns accusing me of murder. This is the same newspaper that said, who says it's not safe to travel to China in February? That's how dumb they are. But it even, you know, but but more to Jill Abramson, former New York Times executive editor. Now focus of the complaint, um, it, you know, that it couldn't be more timely. The words that she has used and and. This op-ed, Abramson wrote a book a year ago describing the paper had gone from journalism, the journalism business, to social media advertising business that cared only about clickbait headlines and their progressive audience that they would enjoy, and which means stories that make conservatives look bad. This op-ed writer, this young woman, Barry Weiss, resigning, scathing letter, what the, the abuse that they put, and she described that they put on her as a culture at the New York Times, it goes against everything that supposedly liberalism says that they are for. It is the most hostile work environment I've ever heard of. Anyway, that she writes about a predetermined narrative explicitly promoting progressive causes, uh, tolerates bigotry in doing so. Her words, summing it up, Twitter's become the ultimate editor, ethics and more of that platformer become those of the paper, the paper itself, kind of a performance space. They have betrayed their standards. They have lost sight of their principles, which is basically what this is all about. Now, the only problem with what they claimed in their articles was uh, there was not a single COVID case in Lynchburg alone, let alone on the campus. Not one. What they wrote was false. 
They didn't they now they were given an opportunity to retract and apologize. They refused to take it. And by the way, I'm paying very close attention to all of this as I watch the Sarah Palin case now making its way. Remember the targeted districts case at some point lying smears slander. It needs to stop. We have this landmark case somewhat troubling Times v. Sullivan. You know, a ridiculous standard. If you're a public figure, you, you, you got to show that there's malice. How do you show malice or and a reckless disregard for truth? That's such a high bar. The reason the Nicholas Sandman is going to be a billionaire, my prediction, is Lynn Wood is going to eviscerate him. These these news outlets, fake news, CNN. OK, then it's very common. You have non-disclosure agreements. They're not going to report. They paid this guy. I would I guarantee you. My best guess is over $100 million. And, it, and all of these other publications will follow suit and they all will pay after what they did to this poor kid over a 15-second out-of-contact snippet without even trying to get the other side. You know, this matters because in 111 days, all of their, you know, four years of smears and slander and besmirchment, all their conspiracy theories, their hoaxes, it is repulsive. And for Liberty University, well, they happen to be a well-funded university. It's expensive to take on a lawsuit such as this, which often takes years. Very expensive lawyers. You have to be willing to, to literally be deposed. You have discovery. It is, it's a nightmare. And I'm factoring all of this into my decision-making, depending on where I might go with this uh, down the line with myself. You know, it is unconscionable what they do to public figures. And I'm not done, by the way. I have a lot of other things in the works. Time will show you a lot of things. But anyway, they finished out the semester at Liberty, and they only had one member of the Lynchburg student community who tested positive, but that person was living off campus. That person was living with their family. That person was studying online. That person had not even been to the campus for that semester. And this false claim that they reported that a, a doctor in charge of health told them nearly a dozen students were sick with symptoms of COVID-19. In fact, he was not responsible. He did not treat students. They didn't do any due diligence. He didn't have any firsthand knowledge. In any event, told them the opposite. They didn't care. This is what we call a reckless disregard for the truth. They never bothered to talk to the doctor who actually was in charge of treating students at Liberty, despite being told that they should do so by the doctor they misquoted. They never gave the administration any chance to get them the correct information before they published. And virtually every school faced a problem. This problem was real. Now, Liberty, they did all the things that the city and state asked them to do. No more than 10 people in one place, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, but you have student bodies. You have some foreign students, some other students that, you know, lived with elderly parents. They didn't want to get their parents sick. So they made a tough decision. They implemented all the safety measures. It proved to be a healthy decision. All the naysayers were wrong, as usual. That they sent a reporter from a virus hotspot, mind you, in Washington to the campus where they reported no COVID cases. They violated their own. They violated Liberty's containment rules that they had established to keep their campus safe with no trespassing signs. And they didn't give a rip. In other words, an 
what, an intentional attack on a university because they're a conservative, they're an evangelical Christian university, and they don't care about the truth. They just wanted their clickbait. They wanted their, you know, as Jill Abramson says, or as or as the op-ed uh, editor Barry Weiss said, she said, I mean, it is devastating. This is, you know, this is going to be, has all of the potential to be a landmark case. All of the potential. They go through all of this. 2006, managing editor, New York Times, asked on national television, how does it feel to be the managing editor of a paper that makes stuff up? 14 years later, Liberty University has that same question. Wow, that's a hell of a way to start a lawsuit. That's the preliminary statement. Then they go into the facts of the case in deep, deep detail. And they tell the truth, which the Times did not care about, which, frankly, they don't care about. Have they retracted, rescinded all of the lies and misinformation they've put out about COVID? Nope. They just allow the smearing, the slander, the besmirchment. They just allow it all to continue. I mean, I'm reading this whole thing, you know, yesterday, um, and it is blown away. Twitter's become the ultimate editor, Barry Weiss writes. You know, she's just, she's not even, she's not a conservative. She's like, quote, a centrist voice. I would argue even probably a little more liberal. You know, the free and open exchange of ideas and opinion are dead. The search for the truth replaced by, you know, this, this liberal, she calls it the enlightenment of the few, whose job it is to inform everyone else. Wow. This letter bemoans the times strayed from the ideals that they laid out their own paper. I mean, to think that their failure to anticipate the outcome of the election, they didn't have a grasp on the country they cover. Their editors and others have admitted this on other occasions. You said she was honored to be a part of it, and they brought in a bunch of people to write for the paper. The lessons uh, that ought to have been followed after 2016, the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism and centrality of free exchange of ideas in a democratic society have not been learned, she said. This is a beatdown. Twitter's not the masthead of the New York Times. Wow, she's a great writer, too. Twitter has become its ultimate editor. Ethics, mores of the platform have become those of the of the paper. The paper itself increasingly a, a kind of performance space. This sounds like something you'd read about, you know, the worst website out there, not the prestigious New York Toilet Paper Times. I call it toilet paper because it's as good as toilet paper. That's all it's worth. Just not as soft. Um, she goes on to, to talk about, you know, they're, they're literally satisfying the narrowest of audiences rather than allowing a curious public to read about the world and draw their own conclusions. Always taught journalism's were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. She talks about her own forays into wrong think, made her the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. I've learned to brush the comments off uh, about, you know, I'm writing a quote about the Jews again. Wow. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me, also badgered by coworkers. My work and my character openly demeaned on a company-wide Slack channels where these masthead editors regularly weigh in. Some coworkers, you know, 
uh, insisted I needed to be rooted out of the company. How inclusive is that, by the way? You know, their employees smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter. No fear of, you know, that that harassing will be met with appropriate action. Now, there are terms for this unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, constructive discharge. I'm not a legal expert, but I know it's wrong. I would expect another lawsuit for the toilet paper times coming soon. You know, they've allowed this behavior to go on inside this company in full view of the paper's entire staff and public. And I, I certainly can't square how they and other Times leaders have stood by while simultaneously praising me in private for my courage, showing uh, up uh, for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. Part of me wishes I would that I, that my experience was unique. The truth is intellectual curiosity, let alone risk taking is now a liability at the times. Wow. Wow. That's the mob that I talk about. That's the 99% of media. You want to know why they want to silence every conservative voices, including the one you're hearing now? Because we don't fit in that model. We're irredeemable deplorables, Trump voters, smelly Walmart shoppers. You know, this is the America that Joe Biden talks about, you know, we're going to transform and everything else he's been saying. This is, you know, these are the bitter Americans clinging to God, their Second Amendment rights, their Bibles, their religion. They're not New Yorkers, as Andrew Cuomo says. All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, by the way, I, I, I told you that I've seen a dramatic shift. Uh, by the way, Biden today calls Arizona an important city. All of you in Arizona, you're a very important city. Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Good to see you, sir. And uh, look, Arizona is very much in play in 2020. So we appreciate you taking some time to talk to the people of our state. Oh, you're it's an important city. You guys are going through hell right now, aren't you? Yeah, important city. You guys have gone through hell. What state am I in? Super Thursday, Super Thursday, whatever. Um, Here's what's happened by embracing the police have now become the enemy line. Wow. By embracing, well, reallocating. I don't like to use the word defund, he says. I use the word reallocating. Same thing as defunding, just a matter of, you know, maybe it doesn't sound as extreme. By adopting the very verbiage and language of Bernie Sanders and AOC's new Green Deal and his $5 trillion commitment now to this environmental madness. And I'll get into that in more detail in the next hour. By aligning with Schumer Pelosi, 125 years combined, three failure. By bringing in Beto Bozo, the Mr. Let's Confiscate Guns. Let me tell you what this is showing. This is a brand new race. Law and order, safety and security. Donald Trump saying he is going into these war zones that Democratic cities have run into the ground and he's going to protect people. That's on the ballot. You know, immigration, the United Sanctuary States of America, uh, you know, then uh, amnesty for illegals, higher and higher taxes, false promises of everything. It's a new race. 
the biggest choice election in our lifetime. And Rasmussen shows the Biden's lead is collapsing. This is just the beginning. A lot's going to happen in 111 days. 25 days, but in 111 days, yeah, this is where it gets serious. I meant to start with some incredible news today that um, on the coronavirus in this sense. There's no great news about the worst pandemic since 1917 and 18. And I know we have this intersection of, of politics and medicine, which always ends up with politics winning. Hydroxychloroquine is probably the, the best case in point. And, you know, the fact that you have the study that shows that, yeah, it actually really did work. Um, you know, nobody wants to pay that much attention to that part of it. Sad. You know, and when I read the the, the letter, 42-year um, doctor, the premier um, the premier doctor on lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and deal with anti-malarials and 400 peer-reviewed papers and for 42 years, thousands and thousands of patients that he has prescribed hydroxychloroquine to, many taking it with erythromycin, et cetera, and he said the risks are nil and nobody wanted to talk about that doctor, this guy out at Cedar Cedar sinai um, it's sad because then, then at that point, you're not giving the public good information. And I and well, granted, everybody, you know, the experts were wrong. China lied to the world. There's a, there's a lot that went on here. And w- the president is now holding China accountable on a lot of issues, which is good, because I don't think Joe Biden ever would. Look at what happened with the $1.5 billion Bank of China deal with a zero experience on there. And he still has money that he's getting back. And it's pretty unbelievable to me. His name is Daniel Wallace. He's the, you know, this guy is the premier expert in the country, and I'd argue the world on hydroxychloroquine. The risks are nil at the doses that are being used to treat COVID patients. Those are his words, but still got politicized. You know, I got hammered. I always get the crap beat out of me. I'm, I just don't care anymore. Uh, the good news, the pharmaceutical company, by the way, those evil pharmaceutical companies. Well, this one is Moderna. They're now beginning their brand new phase of testing for a vaccine. Their last test, their stage what one or two trial, the beginning phase three of its vaccine trial now on July 27th, they had 45 volunteers and they developed their rapid and strong immune responses when administering the vaccine. None of the participants showing severe side effects. Moderna developed the vaccine in coordination with the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which, by the way, Dr. Fauci is the head of. Uh, He's been wrong on a lot of things, but I always said I I admired and respect his life work. You know, he was doing the best he could. Everybody didn't know. Don't wear masks. Wear masks. You know, take okay if you're young and healthy, go on a cruise ship. It's, you know. I'm sure that he wishes he could take back a lot of what he said, but he didn't know. And anyway, he said, no matter how you slice it, this is good news. We'll get Dr. Oz's take. Well, it worked out that they had antibodies, and I'm going to let Dr. Oz explain it better than I can, that were stronger than if you actually got the virus antibodies. Pretty amazing. Phase three begins July 27th. That's in what, 12 more days. Uh, that's amazing. And they're going to use 30,000 participants. The chief medical officer said the trial showed the vaccine elicited a, quote, robust immune response across all dose levels. 
Patients were broken up into three groups. They were given variation of doses, 25, 100, and 250 micrograms. Uh, the, the lead medical officer at Moderna said that uh, the 100 microgram dose proved to be the optimal dose. They've manufactured enough doses of the vaccine for the next file uh, phase of the trial. That's in 12 days it begins. And they're on track to produce 1 billion doses of vaccine by next year. That's amazing. They're confident they will have tens of millions of vaccines before the end of this year. Wow. And by the way, this also, you know, you, this was all part of Operation Warp Speed. I'm not sure the president will never get credit for it, but an effort to find a coronavirus vaccine. The president's Trump administration's effort. And, you know, I told you that I've said from the very beginning, my timeline is on Hannity.com. It's on Twitter. The best part of it is very simple is that I was able to, you know, say I I always had my faith in the in medical researchers, scientists. They were able to break the sequence of this virus down in six weeks. That gave me incredible hope because that they used to take years and years and years to break down the sequence of a virus. Once you break down a sequence, now you're a long way towards the cure. Uh, this is sick. What's going on in Florida? Fox 35 reporting Florida Department of Health now confirming today that and yesterday the private and public laboratories, you know, they're required to report positive and negative results to the state immediately. The problem is, is that they weren't using the proper protocol they now found and they I'll, I'll read it verbatim. Countless labs in Florida have reported a 100 percent positivity rate, which means every single person that got tested tested positive. Other labs had a very high positivity rate. One local lab reported all 83 people tested had the virus and uh, then others were at 88, 90 percent. Then they investigated the astronomical findings and how the data was skewed in the lack of reporting of negative tests and Orlando's Veterans Medical Center positivity rate is 76 percent. You know, based on all that we know, we already know it's almost mathematically impossible. I'm going to say this one thing on masks I've already given, you know, big time I've given. Um, anyway, look, the CDC director said the following. If, if everyone, if there was universal mask wearing, and I'm not talking about a government mandate. I don't wear a mask because somebody's telling me to do it. I don't have to wear a mask. I've been tested for COVID. Every time I've been around the president, I get tested before I'm around the president. Joe Biden admits everyone that's around him. Same thing. And my personal decision, anecdotally, I'll say it again, is in the middle of this Schiff, Adam Schiff show, say that in honor of him, I was in the, the epicenter of this. I remember one Saturday in particular, I think there was like, you know, 12,000 new cases. Yeah, very close to where I live. I'm like, geez. You know, it felt like a cloud, a dark, dark cloud, just, you know, hovering over where I lived. It was a horrible feeling. And, um, but I went to my grocery store every week and twice a week. I usually, I had to get out of the house. I'd put on my mask and I'd walk in, I'd get my groceries. 
And every week I saw the same cashiers. They, but they put up the plexiglass. Everybody had gloves and masks on. I saw the same guys. What was the name of it? Was his name Robert? Robert. Guy, Robert was this young kid. Who, he's such a good kid. I haven't seen him the last few times I've been there. And nobody at the store, and I was there this weekend, nobody got coronavirus. Nobody. You know, and that anecdotally tells me, wow, this works. Now, I'm not into the government telling you anything. I'm not. I'm making a decision for me. I think anecdotally that tells me a lot. And the same could be said for my local, by the way, yeah, I have this on, on the doctor. I have it all. Um, thank you, though, Linda. She's texting me. Linda texts like a stalker. Uh, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? Hello? Hello? I'm like, okay. My phone blows up in front of me. I'm like, oh, all right. sorry. Am I not I supposed to do that? I think a bomb just dropped it, you know, somewhere. Anyway, so he says if there's universal mask wearing, the virus will be in control four to six weeks. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not in that business. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on radio. I don't play one on TV. I'm giving you anecdotal evidence from me. And this is where it hit hard first. And I, this is what I experienced. And for me, if it means that I don't really, you know, when my day is up, it's up. That's my, you know, that's my understanding of life. I don't get to choose the day I'm born. The hairs of my head are counted. And when God calls me home, um, it's it. I can't add another second to my life. I wish I could. I, you know, choose a lot more years than I probably will ever get. But I wear it because I know that if I ever, if I was asymptomatic, which you are in the beginning, but still can transmit this disease according to the latest information, which changes hourly, I wouldn't want to give it to an older person that does have an underlying condition. I wouldn't want to give it to a grandma or a grandpa or a mom or a dad. I wouldn't want to give it to anybody. So for the, this is a short interim period. For me, it's a no brainer. And I know some of you have been resistant. I understand it. And I, to me, it's for others. I also have selfish reasons and I'll explain those. I would like to go to a baseball game. I'm dying to go. And if I have to wear a mask to go and get a temperature check, I'll do it. I would like to go to a football game in the fall. I'd like to see an outdoor concert this year. So those are my selfish reasons. And if that's what allows us back to normal life, I'm on it. And if the CDC director is saying that, okay, that helps it. By the way, Goldman Sachs went nuts today, um, yesterday, with their record-breaking performance. Why? On the hopes of a vaccine. This is going to happen. It's not a matter of if it happens. It's going to happen. Hydroxychloroquine given early help coronavirus patients. Yeah. Oh, that study that came out. Yeah, that oh, that risk. Oh, the Henry Ford Health Center. They actually, you know, they did this for 2,541 patients. Yeah, it's very effective if given in the early stages of contracting the virus, unlike that VA study. Um, that were used late, basically when people were dying and, um, the patients that received it, um, you know what they did dramatically better. Well, 400 million milligrams, uh, twice a day, the first day, 200 milligrams, four days following. Personally, I'd even go longer, but what do I know about any of this stuff? Um, anyway, that's my take on it. Now, the, 
Why is Joe going towards Bernie, AOC, Pelosi, Schumer, Beto, Bozo? Because he knows darn well he doesn't have his left flank short up. And he's probably going to go hard left for his VP because it's basically the whole Democratic Party anyway. Um, now Rasmussen survey showing 47-44 Biden versus Trump. And I think this is a brand new race. I don't think any of these polls. But Arizona is an important city. We've got to remember that. Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Good to see you, sir. And uh, look, Arizona is very much in play in 2020. So we appreciate you taking some time to talk to the people of our state. Oh, you're it's an important city. You guys are going through hell right now, aren't you? Yeah, you guys in that city. What a hell of a city that is. You guys, you guys live in a great city. OK, that is a little bit scary. Don't you think that Joe Biden doesn't know the day, the state, what office he's running from? You know, hold his truth to be so that all men and women are created equal and died by the oh the oh, oh, what is that thing? Oh, you know, the thing, you know, but the thing. But anyway, look, he has a two trillion to five trillion dollar plan that is going to boost clean energy. OK, that's now him pushing this. You know, Trump had a great line. He said, imagine if if the country was run like Chicago or New York City, you wouldn't have a country very long. And by the way, Trump's support in Alabama uh, played a uh, big role in defeating Jeff Sessions by a pretty big margin yesterday. In Joe Biden's, the police have become the enemy and and defund and reallocate money. You're not going to be safe. That is game changing. The president vowing to straighten out the war zone in these Democratic run cities is a big deal. You have a top NYPD cop today. Where do you see the images we'll show you on TV tonight? You know, blood pouring out of this poor guy's head. The attorney general's right, by the way. There is no more noble profession than law enforcement. And that's those are the people I know in law enforcement, the 99 percent. But morale is in the toilet. Oh, now in St. Louis, they want this couple that defended their home. You got a rogue prosecutor. First, they went in and took their legal guns. Meanwhile, the police didn't show up that night when it was all happening. President vowing to help. Portland is now the epicenter of, you know, the anarchy that's going on. And as is New York, as is Chicago, as is Seattle. And, you know, it's scary out there. New York City leaders now, the African-American leaders in New York are begging the NYPD to revive their anti-crime unit that de Blasio shut down. If the countries run like New York City or Chicago, that would be a preview of Biden's America to me. You know, it's two to five trillion dollar tax hikes for clean energy. Let's get rid of all fossil fuels, fracking, oil, coal jobs. That's 10 million plus jobs he's saying goodbye to. You know, this entire agenda is a it's a disaster if you believe in liberty, freedom, capitalism, law, and order. You know, what the great country that we have grown to know and love goes away with these policies and these extremists. And they're all, by the way, now he's got the team in place. Let me tell you the only reason he doesn't move to the center. Because he, he knows he doesn't have his base in spite of all the phony polls and fake media. In 111 days, I, nobody can tell you how it's going to come out, but I can tell you, you can win this. And they'll choke on those words. We can now project Donald J. Trump has been reelected the 45th president of the United States. You, the people, can have it. In 111 or 12 days, depending on what time the, they make the call. Hopefully 111. 
early in the night. But I can tell you, you can make that happen. Or we can have Biden's America. It's probably never been a time when candidates are so different. We want law and order. They don't want law and order. We want strong, closed borders with people able to come in through merit, through a legal process. They don't want to have any borders at all. They're going to rip down the wall. It was hard to get that built. And now it's almost completed. So Biden was here for 47 years, eight years, the last eight years, not long ago, as vice president, he said, one in five miles of our highways are still in poor condition. Well, we're doing a good job on highways, but why didn't he fix them three years ago? Why didn't he fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges are in disrepair and on the verge of collapse. Well, it's probably not a right number, but we have bridges that should have been fixed. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges. This is what he wrote. High-speed broadband. We want high-speed broadband. Well, why didn't he get it? Three years ago is not a long time. And uh, he didn't do any of the things, but now he says he's going to be president. As president, he's going to do all the things that he didn't do. He never did, never did anything, except make very bad decisions, especially on foreign policy. All right, that was, let's get the simple man back up. It's got to flow better where we have simple man, because anytime we're going to go to all things Bill O'Reilly, BillOReilly.com, it's got to have simple man. It's got to have Leonard Skinner underneath it. Just let's hit it a little bit. It's like he's coming out on stage. The music is up. The lights are out. And in walks the giant. And he really is a giant. What are you, like 6'10"? How tall are you? Yeah, I'm 6'4", but my intellect makes me uh, look taller. <laughs> How does a simple man have the intellect that raises your stature literally by, you know, inches? Oh. Because I went to private school like you did on Long Island. That's why. Oh, those 12 years of Catholic school, Mr. O'Reilly. They, they, I, I was incorrigible. But the funny thing is, and I think you agree with this, you know, it got to me. I mean, deep down in my heart, I always knew I was wrong. I knew I was incorrigible. I knew I had to change my life. I knew I needed Jesus at some point to come into my life. Um, and, and I believe all that. Well, I mean, the discipline, and, you know, this is a, a conversation that could really help the country if it were allowed to take place, but it won't because of the anti-religion um, on the left. Hey, Bill, this is not a God-free zone. God is allowed on this show. You can talk about yeah. God. Well, the Catholic school system spends far left to educate students than the public school system and gets far better results. Now, granted, People who pay the tuition are more motivated. The families are more motivated. There's no doubt. But if you read uh, Cardinal Dolan's letter today made public about the savage attack on the Catholic Church by the Associated Press earlier this week um, about the Catholic Church getting federal assistance in the form of loans to pay their workers, it was a savage attack, and Dolan called them out. So you don't have a wide variety of discussion about why do Catholic, um, why does Catholic education work and public education doesn't work, at least in many places. And that's a conversation that could really help the country if we could have it, and it would help every poor kid uh, in this nation. You see, I think we're actually probably going to go through a transformation. Um, because my kids were athletes, many of their friends did homeschooling. 
now that so many kids have, you know, teleworking is the future. Telemedicine is the future. I would even argue that telecollege is going to grow exponentially. I know it's, for example, Liberty University, uh, we're going to be joined by Jerry Falwell later in the program, but I mean, they have, I think, more students that are online students than actually on campus, and they have a massive campus because I, I speak there every so often to their convocation of, you know, 12,000 kids. Um, but, you know, we can, we can save this for another day. Um, but let me, there's a lot happening in the country. You like, you are the culture warrior. I'm watching this story about this Goya CEO who likes President yeah. Trump. Then what do we have? We have a boycott. But the boycott got overrun by something called the boycott. And by the way, you can include me in the boycott. I have I donate to my local I don't know, I'm sure you have the same thing in your town, food bank and a lot of, they've needed extra sure. help because of COVID. And I'm willing to buy Goya products. Linda's working on it now and I'm going to send some to my local food bank and I know that you you and I often match you know, donations to each other. I'm not asking uh, you to. I'll but absolutely do that, and I'll get it right on uh, with the Winifred and William. No, I, I, by Foundation. the way, you, we always do. We kind of support each other's charities, yeah. and I'm glad to. Yeah. you have so many good charities. But, you know, the point is, I'm, what, we're now, because you have a political point of view, we're going to destroy your business and, and hurt all the people that work for you? You can't put aside petty political differences even on this? Well, they've been doing this for years, the far left. And it's interesting. The far-right extremists don't do this. The conservative movement doesn't do it. It all comes from the far-left, the extremists that want to tear the country down and banish freedom of speech. But it goes even further than this. So the Goya guy goes to the White House to honor the Hispanic Economic Initiative. A good thing, right? Everybody would agree with that? White House having a Hispanic Economic Initiative? I think it's a good thing. And he goes there and he says, you know, thank you to President Trump, and you're doing a good job economically, because he is. Because Trump is doing a good job economically for everybody. So that, there's no argument with that. So as soon as he says that, you have the mobilization of the haters. It's, it's not so much ideology. It's these people just hate. So the first person that pops out is Anna Navarro on CNN, a top hater. And AT&T is paying her salary. And all she does is hate people. Then you get Joy Behar in the view. Jo- we now, call her joyless, Bill. She doesn't seem full of joy yeah, to me, but go ahead. There. Everybody who's ever watched the woman knows she's a hater. Disney writes her check. Then you get, and I, and I was so sorry to see this, Lynn manuel Miranda, the guy who, who wrote Hamilton, a brilliant brilliant piece of work he comes out and this idiot chrissy teigen who i don't i mean this is some model who's never done anything no, she's married life. to john legend the singer but go ahead yeah, i met her right, once well, and i hope they're happy but they're haters not manual i think he just gets caught up in the political correctness all right but immediately this hatred is then embraced by the corporate media and disseminated Whereas if you had the exact same thing, and by the way, this is very important. The head, the CEO of Goya, was very complimentary to Barack and Michelle Obama. Very complimentary when he went to the White House to help Mrs. Obama with her nutritional campaign. Can the corporate media tell their employees not to hate people? Is that possible? 
Bill, let's get back to this issue. The corporate media. Can they can they tell people just not to hate people and, and respect? Look, look at this New York Times resignation yesterday. It blew me away. Uh, and you know what that's all about? That's all about her, Weiss, supporting Israel. That's what that's all about. So she sad. She started to alienate the rank and file of the New York Times when she wrote a pro-Israel column. I have it right in front of me. And that's when her career went down the drain because the far left in America despises Israel. But but I thought liberals were so full of light and, and accepting and open and they, you know, believed in the free exchange of ideas. It's not like that at all. The fascinating thing to me is, and I know you, you had a relationship with Bill Maher. Um, I've interviewed him a number of times. I think he's a jackass. But it was, or even Jimmy Kimmel more recently, Sean Hannity, I never call for anybody's firing. Never have. No boycotts. I don't support them. I refuse to. I, people can listen to, watch what they want, and then that's the end of the sentence for me. But I, I don't even want to use the term cancel culture. I, I just find that those, the people that are really tolerant are conservatives. I don't want any liberal fired. I don't want any show boycotted. Uh, they've gone after Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel and I had a big public fight when they tried to call for his firing. I absolutely would not chime in on that. I'm never going to. You know, now they're trying to go back and, uh, you know, go after even Howard Stern. I mean, somebody that could pretty much do and say anything over the years. I'm not for that either. Nor is a skit that he did 25 years ago. I think him and Robin are two of the most, probably the most gifted team of radio personalities ever to exist. Look, I, I made a point and you made the point earlier in this conversation. Doesn't come from conservative people. They don't do the boycott thing. Because conservative traditional Americans, even though they don't like a lot of these people, and that's cert- certainly their right not to like them, all right, they don't want to shut down speech. But the totalitarian left does. That's the big difference. So a guy like Marr, who I stuck up with uh, for when, after 9-11, he said the uh, killers weren't cowards. And ABC canned him for that. ABC fired him for that. I said that was wrong. I didn't believe it uh, in his analysis, but they shouldn't have silenced him. And now ABC, Disney, has gone totally the other way. Now, as I said, they're putting up haters and paying them. So what we have is a, a collapse of standards in corporations because six corporations control 90% of the news flow in this country. And they're okay if you're a left-winger. You can hate anybody you want. But if you're a conservative... You certainly cannot do that. You will be fired. It's it's getting really scary. But I think with this this backlash with Goya, there's something fascinating happening. And and actually, I don't know if you remember the whole Kerrig incident with me and and somebody was trying to boycott me at the time. I don't even remember who. And anyway, then the most incredible audience in all of radio and TV, Bill, they started dropping their Kerrig machines off of balconies they started shooting them with shotguns they started beating them with bats and with golf clubs and right you know and what i ended up doing rather than going in the direction maybe people would have thought i reached out and i purchased out of my own pocket how many the how many carrick machines linda did we buy like 500 of them we bought a thousand we bought a thousand and anyone that you know showed us that they broke their carrick machine we replaced them and I was very appreciative because it put a stop to it. And I think this 
Goya by um, boycott, as they call it, is is having the same impact. That gives me hope. And that is what is necessary in America to stop the madness. That good people say, all right, I'm going to buy Goya stuff. I'm going to reward the CEO for standing up for his belief system. My campaign on BillOReilly.com is stand up for your country. And this is a concrete way you can do it. And if the folks mobilize every time they see this boycott stuff, it will stop. But that's the only thing that will stop it. Yeah. All right. Bill O'Reilly, all things BillOReilly.com. We'll take a break. We'll get his take on the election where we are now at this point. Just uh, 111 days uh, till you become the ultimate jury, the American people, that is. As we continue, Bill O'Reilly, all things O'Reilly at BillOReilly.com. All right. So we're 111 days out, Mr. Simple Man. Where are we with this election? I think anybody that tells you that they know how this is going to end is guessing. They've got a 50-50 shot. Uh, in that sense, I don't believe the polls and I believe the race has been transformed by Biden uh, saying that the police have now become the enemy. He's part of the defund movement or, quote, reallocation. He prefers that word. Uh, he's embraced Bernie's agenda. He's even plagiarized the exact words. AOC is in charge of climate. Five trillion in climate spending, he announced yesterday. And uh, then we've got Beto O'Rourke, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to fill out the entire squad. Certainly, Joe Biden gets elected. The country will lurch to the left and the economy will crash. No doubt that. But there is a huge backlash coming in America that I think will put Donald Trump into office if he maintains a calm posture. Question. Does the president try to bait him? Why would Biden go along with the the defund the police efforts? Police are now the enemy. Why would he adopt all of Bernie and AOC's agenda? Because that goes against conventional wisdom. You go hard left or right and move to the center. Here's the reason. Joe Biden lives in a bubble. He gets his information from the Washington Post, number one, New York Times, number two, CNN and NBC News, three and four. That's all he hears. He believes that most Americans are on the side of the radical left. That is his huge mistake. I agree. The last week and a half, mark this date, Biden adopting Bernie AOC and defunding, mark this week. It will define a big part, in my view, of what the result might be. All right, BillOReilly.com. Simple man, Bill O'Reilly, thank you as always. When we come back, we get a coronavirus update. And yes, a vaccine on the horizon. Some good news. Dr. Oz weighs in next. 20 days now, live free or die. America and the world on the brink. It's not hyperbole. It is the reality of what I see. Uh, We've got a ton of news, and a lot of it is very good news. If there is such a thing about, well, a virus, the worst pandemic since 1917 and 18 and the Spanish flu, I talked very early and very often about my belief in the medical researchers in this country, in the world, especially this country, my belief in in the scientists, the doctors, the medical professionals. No. Yeah, the models were wrong. The predictions were off. There was so much confusion, but we've learned a lot of lessons on the health front. This is phenomenal news. Pharmaceutical company Moderna 
is now beginning testing for its coronavirus after all the patients that took part of their initial trial showed robust responses to their, basically their vaccine is what I, I take it as. They had 45 volunteers and they developed rapid and a strong immune response when administered the vaccine. None of the participants showed severe side effects, according to Moderna. And they developed the vaccine in coordination with the uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases as part of Operation Warp Speed, which is the president's effort to find a vaccine. Dr. Fauci, the head of this group, top infectious disease expert, said with the White House Coronavirus Task Force applauding the initial studies. Now, the company said they will begin phase three of its vaccine trial on July 27th with a study of 30,000 participants. They'll all be volunteers, by the way. If it wouldn't impact my own life insurance policies, I'd probably offer to do it myself. But anyway, the doctor, the chief medical officer at Moderna, says the trial showed the vaccine elicited this robust immune response across all dose levels when they broke the patients up into varying groups and varying doses The 100-microgram dose proved to be the optimal dose. They gave doses of 25, 100, and 250 uh, micrograms. And they said they've already manufactured enough doses of the vaccine for the next phase of the trial. And they're on track to produce a billion doses of vaccine by next year. Dr. Oz, our medical aid team. Dr. Oz, you're the pro. You're the expert. This gives me... The first real hope I feel I can sink my teeth into that we are well on our way to now defeating the invisible enemy. Well, it's a major advance. This is the leading group in the United States uh, pursuing the vaccine. There's, you know, 17 other vaccines in clinical trials. Everything you said, 100% on target. Let me just highlight a couple things. Uh, Of the 45 patients who got these uh, vaccines, remember, they're two doses a month apart. They didn't just have antibodies. They had antibodies that were about four times more than people who've actually had the COVID-19 illness have actually gotten. So Isn't that crazy? I read antibodies. that. What does that mean to so, you? Well, theoretically, it means that their immune response will be hypervigilant, supercharged, and ready to go to battle if it's exposed to COVID-19. Now, we don't know that yet because this is an mRNA vaccine, and I'm not going to drag everyone through medical school, but they're old-school vaccines and new-school tech vaccines. The old-school ones... Uh, they used to just take a regular old mild cold virus, like an adenovirus, put parts of the thing you're trying to make the vaccine against in it, and then you just infect people with that. Uh, proven works, you know, it's the foundation of a lot of the vaccines. This is a very different approach. They just took the little snippet of, R- of mRNA and they, they fooled the person into making more of it, and then you react to that little bit of protein. So this is fantastic news that the principle, which we, from animals we know works, works in humans. Now they've got to do the large U.S. trial. Now, the 30,000 people who are entering this trial are going to be tracked for two years. You might say, why two years? Why do you have to go so long? Because a third of the U.S. population says, we don't trust the vaccine. We think it's dangerous. So you've got to really convince everybody that it's beyond a shadow of a doubt safe enough for most people to take. Uh, but along that path of two years, at some point, hopefully six months from now, everyone's going to say there's so many people who got the placebo, who got infected just by living their lives in America, compared to so few who got the infection, uh, who got the actual vaccine, uh, that the trials should be terminated and we should just understand that this is a safe and effective vaccine and then move ahead with widespread use. Let, let's make an assumption here as they begin now the, the trial of 30,000 people. 
let's assume the results are the same as the 45 people that they used in this this re- most recent phase of trials. And by the way, an official of Moderna saying we they're going to have tens of millions of vaccine doses by the end of this year. Now the question is, if the 30,000 came back the same as the 45 and somebody said, Dr. Oz, are you going to take that vaccine? Would you take it now? Assuming the 30,000, same results, what would you say? I'd take it. You had 30,000 people who were on it, uh, people who are... I'd take it, less, too. Uh, yeah, but there'd be some people who say, well, give me a year worth of data. I don't want to have some late... I respect that. No, I vaccine. respect that a yeah. lot. Exactly. We don't have to have everybody take the vaccine. We just have to have most of the people take the vaccine in order to get herd immunity and prevent the virus from running rapid, rapid in our communities. That way, especially the vulnerable members of society and the nursing homes will be safe. You know, it, it's pretty amazing to me now... <laughs> I know you've read this as well as I have, and we had talked a lot during the the midst of, you know, this pandemic about hydroxychloroquine. Well, it turns out that we finally do have a real study. You and I were both critical of the VA. It was a retro study, retrospective study, which, you know, people were given it late in the game. Uh, But the analysis shows that patients were benefiting by taking hydroxychloroquine, especially when they took it early. And it turned out, and I'll give you the number, analyzed the medical records of 2,541 patients and said it can be effective during the early stages of contracting the virus at the right dose. And uh, what we found is uh, if you take it early, it uh, had a dramatic impact on saving people's lives. Do you agree with that study? So this is from the Henry Ford Health System. I do believe it was a well-done study. I spoke to the authors. Uh, It was a retrospective study as well, and they were not alone. Uh, Mount Sinai here in New York, which is a massive, well-respected system, had 3,700 patients that they also studied, also gave hydroxychloroquine early on. And in both centers, both they're not in centers, they're systems of patients to get those large numbers, both said that they had about a 25% mortality rate in the, in the average person who came in. But for the people who got hydroxychloroquine early on, they dropped those numbers in half. So it's very alluring information. I'll tell you, it doesn't prove it yet, only because we need to do the prospective study. But what I'm upset about is we've scared people so much about this drug. Neither of these centers, by the way, had major complications from hydroxychloroquine. So now this, the people, the researchers who I've been talking to, trying to do the studies to prove what the Chinese have shown in their randomized trials, which is there's a benefit of hydroxychloroquine with zinc or, hydro- or azithromycin or whatever they're combining it with, are unable to recruit patients. Because we've we've revved up the fear, <laughs> so people say, I don't want to take a chance. It's too dangerous. I hate to tell you, that's the intersection of politics and medicine that you and I have also discussed at length. Unfortunately. And you know, we've spoken about the reality that when you, and you, t- you said this to me, and I've repeated it often, when you, com- when you combine politics with medicine, you get politics. There's yeah, no more you medicine do. left. What about remdesivir? I know there's a lot of hope that was the RNA uh, drug that was spoken of early, then got a lot of hype. I don't know any study that has shown anything on that. Do you? Not yet, but remdesivir, um, although it did not show life-saving benefit in the one trial, it was a very good prospective trial. So, you know, the kind of trial we, we try to make decisions based on, and it did show shortening of the hospital stay. It's a building block. Uh, I was also excited about the, the, the study on steroids late in the course because it showed that you could reduce the, the autoimmune reaction, the overreaction of the in, immune system and the inflammation that causes so, many, so much damage. That also saved lives in the study that the, uh, was done. What in kind the of case. steroids? Was, was it prednisone or something stronger? Uh, dexamethasone. It was a, a, a cousin of prednisone. But again, mm-hmm. the, the concept 
was based on a an observation that that almost all doctors were having, which is the early course of illness was primarily because of the virus. Most people did not die from it, and they seem to do okay. Then there seems to be the second wave that because your body's immune system starts to overreact, and you form blood blood clots in your major vessels, and then you have a bunch of other this cytokine cascade that starts to take place, and you want to stop that from happening. You know, the part of the reason I think the mortality rates have not been as high. I mean, the ICU admission rates in the southern states that have been hard hit seems to be about half of what it was up here in the New York, New Jersey area. And we think part of that might be, obviously, younger patients, that they do better. But some of it might be we're just managing the disease better, not just because of the I mean, I was, block medications. I, I had Governor Abbott on last night, and I had uh, Ron DeSantis on the, the previous week. And the biggest change is that the numbers of young people contracting it now are dramatic. I mean, the average age is like 21. The average age is, you know, uh, much, much younger. And we all know the one thing that remained constant was that older people, compromised immune systems, underlying conditions were in, in, in problems. Florida, we also discovered, I couldn't believe this yesterday, the Florida Department of Health Apparently, all these public and private laboratories, they were giving back 100% positivity rates. In other words, every the numbers were way inflated in Florida, which, you know, the, on the political side, they've been hammering DeSantis on it, but it's not been true. Well, I saw that report. That actually came out of my affiliate down in Orlando, a very good station, and I trust their efforts. I, I got to say, you know, across the board, you know, the, we're... we're we're sort of running into the same roadblock, which is there, there are things we can do to make a difference. Wearing masks is a good example. More data, you know, and which you sent me a nice little, you texted me an article last night on that beautifully articulates uh, a great story. But we, we've got to at least get clear on, on what we're running after. And I don't even think that it was the opening of the states, at least initially, that caused this. And uh, Dr. Redfield from the CDC, who's got more access to data than anybody else, said he, he does not think that the Memorial Day, I'm sorry, that the opening of the states was the problem. He thinks Memorial Day weekend was the problem. And everyone started traveling around, and, and we're not defenseless. That's the point here. We've got all kinds of tools. And if, do I, can I have two seconds to explain the study that you sent to me? Yeah, go ahead. I looked at two, hair, two hairstylists, two hairdressers. And one of them had gotten pretty sick, and they both got tested, and both of them had COVID-19. But before they got tested and shut down, they took care of about 140 people. Half of those, none of those people, by the way, got symptoms. And half of them actually got COVID-19 tests as part of the study, and none of them were positive, none. So how is it possible two people in a you know, closed environment, more than 15 minutes exposure, where, with both whom are positive, passed it to not one of 140 people that we know of? And the difference was they wore masks. You know, I've gotten the crap beat out of me a little bit for my position on this, but I lived in the middle of this Uh, like you. And and I actually read a lot and I want to learn what we did. Right. The CDC director now said if everybody we had universal mask wearing coronavirus is under control in in a month to to eight weeks max. Um, My argument has been, well, I'll wear a mask to save grandma, grandpa uh mom dad and so i can go to a baseball you know i'm obsessed and baseball game or a concert outdoors or a football game and i kept using anecdotal information i go to in the middle of this i call it a shift adam shift storm i would go to my grocery store and my drugstore and everybody was there the same cashiers same everybody same guys packing the shelves nobody got sick they all wore masks so my little anecdotal evidence is they work it's about freedom to me 
Face coverings don't take away our freedom. They give us freedom. They give us freedom that we don't have to have governments tell us what to do. They give us freedom because we can open our economy, right. go to a ball game maybe. We don't even know how powerful they are because we haven't done it. But the best estimates from the folks that I trust is if we can get 80 to 90% of Americans to wear masks in public, this virus will become up pretty much the influenza virus in its behavior. We'd be able to do just about everything we wanted to do. We don't know that for and sure. It's, it's very short term. systems. Right. Yeah. It's it's sure. not to me. It's like, can we I, I, can I can you just do it for grandma? And I don't have a grandmother, but I don't want to get somebody else's grandmother sick. All right. Stay right there. Dr. Oz with us. Uh, more questions on the other side. Uh, all right. Our final moments. Dr. Oz uh, remains with us. Uh, really good news on Moderna. And now we're moving to a, the next phase of clinical trials. Thirty thousand. Um, and I agree with you about the mass for other people, because it's now it's definitely it looks like you know, a vaccine is on the horizon. So, you know, I wish people would do it, but I'm not in the business of telling people how to live their lives, Dr. Oz. I'm sure you have patients. You tell them to quit smoking and lose weight, and a lot of them probably don't listen to you. It doesn't work. That's the unfortunate reality. It's why, you know, it doesn't. You know, I tell you, one of the best lessons I learned from Oprah, as you know, she's my partner on the show, and I started right. in the, we used to call it Oprah University. But the best lesson she ever gave me, she says, people do not change based on what they know. They change based on how they feel. People in politics, people who understand politics like you know this well. But if you're fighting at home with somebody, you don't convince your kids by telling them. You convince your kids by either showing them by doing it yourself or getting them emotionally engaged. And I think masks have been uh, described as a way of sort of color-coding whether you're on one side of the aisle or the other. It's about neither of that. It's about the issues you've been talking about. And fundamentally, it's about being kindness, which the Republicans and Democrats have in them. We are Americans. It's natural to us. And if we don't deal with the mask as a metaphor for being attentive to folks around us, social distancing being a good example, how much of a hassle is that? All right, Dr. Oz, hope. This gives us a lot of hope. CDC director, you wear, wear, if everyone wears a mask, this thing's gone in less than two months, four, six weeks. It's over. Uh, all right. We'll keep everybody updated. Thank you, sir. When we come back, the president of Liberty University, Jerry Falwell, announces his lawsuit against the New York toilet paper time. All right. Glad you're with us. News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, Sean Hannity's show. Uh, we're going to be joined in a second by Jerry Falwell, president of Liberty University, announcing his suit against the New York Toilet Paper Times. Now, this on the heels of this editor at what is a scathing beatdown of the environment at the New York Times. I've obviously had my own issues with this newspaper. Uh, I'm not done following uh, New York Times v. Palin. That case is expected to be up, I think, at some time in August. I'm watching these uh, cases very, very closely. Barry Weiss, you know, pushed back against the paper's leftism and she was just beaten down in a newsroom that treated her horrifically. Uh, sort of like, let me give you the, the TV example, fake news CNN. That's right. We're actually correcting a story that we have been reporting uh, throughout the day today about an email that was sent uh, to the Trump campaign to then candidate Trump, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, and others uh, during the heat of the campaign season. This email uh, included uh, a decryption key and also uh, something, a link to where they could access some of these hacked WikiLeaks documents from the Democratic National Committee. Now, we've been reporting uh, that this uh, email came on September 4th. Uh, that was before uh, some of these documents uh, were publicly available, but we have just received, obtained a, a copy of this email. Uh, and instead, uh, we now learn that this, uh, this email was on September 14th. So that is 
10 days uh, later than what we originally reported earlier today. And, and this is, appears to change the understanding uh, of this story because initially it seemed perhaps they were being offered access uh, to documents that were not yet publicly available. Now, our initial reporting on that September 4th date was based on two sources who had seen this, this email, but that information was incorrect now. But this email is, came on September 14th, not September 4th, as we said earlier. A newly released document backs the explanation for why Attorney General Jeff Sessions did not disclose meetings with the Russian ambassador on his security clearance forms. The email shows the FBI told a Sessions aide that Sessions was not required to disclose foreign contacts that happened during the course of his duties as a senator. The newly released email supports the Justice Department's original explanation given last May when CNN first reported the omission of foreign contacts on Sessions' security clearance form. CNN has retracted a previous report from its investigative unit that claimed that Congress was investigating a Russian investment fund with ties to the Trump campaign. Um, CNN has said that the story did not go through the rigorous editorial process that it should have. It relied on a single anonymous source. What was interesting was that CNN's Brian Stelter, who is their media writer, noted in his story that they're not necessarily conceding that the story is wrong, but they're saying that it, it did not meet their editorial standards. This case against the New York Times by Jerry Falwell and uh, Liberty University, uh, it is literally that headlines, Liberty brings back its students and coronavirus too, and a university reopened and students got sick an op-ed accused the school of creating its, quote, own viral hotspot, reporting that uh, after reopening, nearly a dozen students were sick with COVID symptoms, claiming that we assured the state and local governments we would abide by the government's pandemic directives, and they did not. And they portrayed the university as the only university to have allowed students to return who felt they needed to do so. Now, all of that According to this suit, was completely made up. Jerry Falwell, president of Liberty University, joins us. Uh, this could be my reading of all of this a landmark case. Let's talk about it. It really, it really could. I'm hoping that we can undo New York Times versus Sullivan. Great to be with you, Sean. But all of that you just listed was completely made up. They that was back in March. At the time they made those reports, there was not a single reported COVID case in Lynchburg, let alone on our campus. And we finished the semester two months later with 1,200 kids living in the dorms. Normally there's 8,000. Not a single faculty, staff, member, or student on campus ever got COVID, and the school year, and the school year ended. They um, reported there were 12 COVID cases, <laughs> and they talked. Their source was a doctor who has an office 10 miles from our campus, and he had seen a few students who had an upper respiratory. And any, any doctor will tell you an upper upper respiratory um, infection is not COVID related. So COVID is lower respiratory, and he told her that he told the reporter Elizabeth Williamson that, and he told her to talk to the on-campus doctor at our clinic. She was here for probably the better part of a week and didn't talk to us or to that doctor. She waited until Sunday when she got back to New York. She, and mind you, she was coming down from New York, and another reporter from ProPublica was coming from, uh, from D.C., and they, they had to go past at least 20 no-trespassing signs on campus. And so they're coming from a hot spot. 
to a place where there are no cases and they disregard our no trespassing signs, which are there for protection of our students. And they, um, they, that the doc, that they, they didn't talk to us. They didn't talk to our doctor. And they um, waited till Sunday when they went back to New York to call us in the afternoon. They already had the story written and gave our people about an hour or two to respond. And then they ran the story at three o'clock. So that just shows you how how deceitful they are. It shows how uh, how much they've become sort of a BuzzFeed, clickbait type newspaper. And um, we they unfortunately for them they picked on the they lied about the wrong conservative organization because we have the resources and the resolve to fight them, and we're going to fight them. And who knows where, where it'll go? But we. Uh, Whatever money we win, we're going to donate it to charities that are helping people with COVID-19. And um, we think it was an intentional attack on our university because we're conservative and evangelical Christian university. And you don't have to believe me. Jill Abramson wrote a book a year ago in which she, she described how the New York Times had gone from the journalism business to the social media advertising business that cared, cared only about clickbait headlines. And then just yesterday... Barry Weiss, who I'm told by my friends in New York is a wonderful lady, um, wrote a scathing public letter that, um, you know, that the paper writes stories according to a predetermined narrative that explicitly promotes progressive causes and orthodoxy and toler- tolerates bigotry to do so. Those are her words, not mine. And so we, uh, we're, 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 we're loaded for bear. We're going to war. So have you given them an opportunity to retract apologize and yeah. they just refuse yes and they won't they, they double down they printed more more lies and um see i think you know, look I, 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 I mean they accused me of murder twice basically in two columns and um i'm i, I haven't made a final decision to be very honest um i'm gonna yeah. watch your case very closely and i'm gonna watch the case sarah palin still has an open case against the member of targeted districts and their their the, the madness you're right about Jill Abramson, as you are right about Miss Weiss. Um, I mean, literally, you know, bullying this this woman, and she just eviscerated them yesterday. Um, you mentioned Times v. Well, Sullivan. That 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 is the standard where you have to prove. This is where we get the term absence of malice. You have to. They made, country, they made yeah. no effort to reach out and get the truth from you, except for going on campus, having come from a hot spot when there was no cases, and they openly lied, and they had no evidence, and you had no chance to, to even give your side. And they tell you how stupid they are. They took pictures on campus of the no trespassing signs and published them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, if it says no trespassing, only... that means you're not invited unless you're uh, unless you have a student ID. <laughs> That's right. And so anyway, they, they just, uh, they've proven, they're showing their true colors. And, you know, we, uh, we, we, I like to fight, you know that. And, and, uh, it's a right, God, it's a right cause. If you don't care about the truth and you, you recklessly just slam a university. Now I got to imagine that there were probably parents of students and parents of faculty and, and 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 family of faculty of that probably read all of this and were probably very upset by it. 
Of course, of course. They were scared to death. And the 1,200 who came back only came back because they either had elderly relatives at home or they didn't have high-speed Internet at home, so they couldn't do online courses, or they were international students. So they really didn't have any choice. And we, we did everything the governor said we should do. We had no groups larger than 10 people. We had uh, social distancing. We had takeout food only. And, uh, but the mayor and city manager of Lynchburg apparently believed some of these lies from the New York Times and attacked us publicly. And I'm still waiting for an apology from both of them, and I haven't gotten it yet. Well, maybe you get a lawsuit there, too. The thing about <laughs> lawsuits, and this is where things become very dicey, especially if you're a public figure like we are. We're both public figures because the standard is so high that now you have to devote million. This is not a cheap lawsuit. This will be millions of dollars. Um, I yeah, think you ready. have a I'm very, you have, you have a winnable case here. It is the, they're yeah. wrong on the facts. They, they had no due diligence. And when told the truth, they refused to even acknowledge it. You gave them an opportunity yeah. to retract and apologize. They refused that. So they kind of put you in a box and you have no choice, but now it's millions of dollars, depositions, uh, years of litigation before you'll ultimately yeah, get a verdict that I think will come down but, in your favor. I hope so. But but you know what the other side of that coin is, Sean? They're going to have they to get spend away the same with amount. It. No, they're going to have to spend the same amount in legal fees. They can't afford it. Well, and they so can't, but we'll, they can because they probably have insurance policies up the yazoo just for this I, very but, cause. But, 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 guess, but guess what happens to their premiums when they have to use those policies? Nah, go through the roof. So. That's right. So, but no, malicious intent is a standard that even the United Kingdom doesn't have. You, you can. It's much easier for somebody to win a libel or slander suit in the United Kingdom because they don't have to prove malicious intent. At least that's what I'm told. I'm not a. I'm not an English lawyer, but in the United States, the New York Times versus Sullivan, I think it was in the '60s, is really a license to lie. And if you, as long as you're writing about a public figure, you can pretty much get away with telling any kind of lie you want to tell. That that precedent needs to be overturned. And that's our goal. Barry Weiss, the op-ed editor who wrote the scathing piece yesterday, talked about the paper's predetermined narrative, uh, a narrative that explicitly promotes progressive causes, uh, tolerates bigotry to do so. Twitter, the ultimate editor. Ethics and, and more of a platform have become those of the paper, and the paper itself has become a kind of performance space, and that they have betrayed their standards and lost sight of, of its principles. Well, I'd say that that Miss Weiss and, and Jill Abramson might be called up as witnesses to your on your side. I'm sure they will. And, and that's exactly what we're alleging in the complaint, what you just what you just said, and it's a um, very well-drafted complaint. I think it proves... Oh, I've read it. It's they, a beatdown. I, I, I think it proves they did have malicious intent, and so even if we don't get New York Times versus Sullivan turned over, overturned, then we still... I think we still got a, a malicious intent, and like I said, we're not looking for money. We, we're going to give the money to help COVID victims, and um, but we want, we want to expose them for who they are, and what they do, it's, it's what they do to conservative Christian organizations should not be permitted. Jerry Falwell, president of Liberty, will join us on Hannity tonight. This is a this is has the potential of being a landmark case, and it needs to be.
This is the case. Your case is better than my case. And I thought I had a good case. I still think I have a good case. Live free or die, and it's 111 days, and every single thing is on the line. Uh, as promised, we're going to get to our busy phones. Pennsylvania, Lisa, next. We'll be watching you very closely in Pennsylvania in 111 days. What's going on? How are you? Um, I just wanted to call about my father. Uh, my father was exiled from Cuba back in the 50s but he came here to the United States to flee the communist regime of Fidel Castro. He loved this country, but he never was able to become an American citizen. So in the recent days, we received two letters in the mail for voter registration for my dad. The first one came, and I opened it up and said, you know, please fill this out. The funny thing is, my dad has been dead for 39 years, and he's not an, he was never an American citizen. And all those years that he's been gone, I've never, ever, ever received any mailings about him voting. So, But the second letter that I received... Well, actually, I never received I just knew that I was getting it. It vanished. It never came to me, but I knew that I was getting it because I have this app. So someone must have taken it and might be filling it out and signing his name. Isn't that considered voter fraud? Yeah, that would be considered voter fraud. Yeah, after getting voter registration cards. Look, this is where, you know, somebody attacked Don Jr. because they said, well, he talked about the case of people changing the registration from... You know, forms, uh, I guess he might have said from Republican to Democrat, and it turned out to be Republic, Democrat to Republican. It, voter fraud is voter fraud. I yeah. don't want Republican voter fraud. I don't want Democratic fraud. That's you know what I want? Free and fair elections without, by the way, dirty dossiers and Russian disinformation <laughs> uh, and a deep state that took sides like they did in 2016. I don't want any of that. Yeah, yes, I agree. Anyway, good call, Lisa. Um, we got to be careful of that. Uh, Jim is in Florida. Jim, well, I bet you love the fact that your state has been getting phony information about uh, COVID-19 uh, and all these people that contracted it when these labs, both state and, and private, have been saying, oh, we have 100% COVID positive rating. Uh, yeah, I none of that was true. I believe anymore. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, now the, the media mob scared the crap out of any, everyone. They're beating up poor Ron DeSantis. The one guy that, that took the one thing seriously that needed to be taken seriously from the get-go and is still doing it, and that is he protected the elderly population and he those with underlying conditions and those with uh, compromised immune systems. That he did. That is so true, Sean. That is so true. Something that Como should go to jail for. So oh, um, terrible. Terrible. But I'm... Over the last nine years, I've lost my sight gradually, 90% of my sight. I have an eye disease. It's hereditary. I knew it was coming. And with me losing my sight, I've lost a lot of my freedoms and things that American people take for granted. So when the election comes, if you vote for the, the left, you're going to lose everything. I thought over the years that I was preparing myself because I knew I would get this eye disease. All right. My father had it just hereditary. Um, I thought I prepared myself for these losses, but there is no preparing yourself when things are taken away like car. I can't drive. I can't walk around by myself. I can't do anything by myself. I've been blessed. Thank God with 11 grandchildren which I cannot see anymore. Well, I'm sorry, by the way. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. And four of them are getting to vote in the first. Pre this this is their first presidential election. 
out of uh, my 11 grandkids. So, and I tell them to watch your show and make your decision on who you're going to vote for. But I just want to say, you really can't vote for the left. If you want to lose everything and have it taken away, then you got to vote for the left. And it's tough when things are taken away that you've that we all as Americans have taken for granted. You know, I, I will say this. Um, you're right about us taking things for granted. And everything is now in, hanging in the balance. This is not a joke when I say live free or die. Live free or America dies in Latin or the, the U.S. and the world on the brink. America and the world on the brink. Because what Joe Biden is now selling is the most radical, extreme, destructive both uh, on every single policy issue he has adopted. He is the most radical extreme candidate. Frankly, I don't even know if, if he's fully in charge of anything. He's co-opted Bolshevik Bernie's full agenda, plagiarized even the words in his agenda. He's adopted AOC's Green New Deal madness. Uh, he has now, you know, dumped on the police. They've become the enemy, and, and he doesn't like to use the word defund. He'd prefer to say reallocate, okay? It's the same thing because you're taking money away from the police. You're defunding them. They need money. Um, but I'll say this, you know, you know. first I wish you the best. Um, and, yeah, it really is about our kids. It comes at a point in life where you, you start thinking differently, and, and I'm at that point in my life. My kids now, you know, are older. I, what kind of America do we leave them? What kind of country do we leave them? And the reality is, is I would like them to have a country with liberty and freedom and not false promises of socialism, which is, you know, why in the book that's out in 20 days, I spend a lot of time talking about the rise of socialism about the principles that led us to be this great country that abuses power less than any other country in mankind history and uses the power to advance the human condition, albeit not perfect. We know that. But then this 2020 agenda, it is unsustainable and it's incapable of, we're incapable of ever reaching uh, the goals and the monies that they're promising. And I go through a whole chapter on the history of the failure of socialism. And you look at the team that Biden is now uh, surrounding himself with and you've got, okay, let's assume it's Kamala Harris as VP. Uh, You got Pelosi and Schumer, add Biden to it. You got 125 years of elect me and I promise this. They've done nothing. A record 125 combined years of failure and broken promises. Then you add AOC and and this Green New Deal madness because they got to they got to shore up their left plank. I mean, this is this is more evidence of really how weak Joe Biden really thinks his campaign is that, you know, he's going to play identity politics. I'm going to pick somebody from this race and gender to be on my ticket. OK, I don't I, I'm fine with whoever he wants to pick. Um, But why is he going so hard left? Why is he adopting Bernie's views? Because he doesn't think he's going to get Bernie's voters. Otherwise, he doesn't want to alienate AOC. You know, he feels that. I guess based on some of his language and the racial jungle that he used and predator language that he used and his positions on integration and segregation over the years and his praise of, you know, former Klansmen as his mentor, that might come back to bite him with 
uh, African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans and other minorities. You know, Donald Trump doesn't have that baggage. He's not the perfect person, but he has fought and kept his word and his promises. And you might not like he fights with the media so much, or you stylistically might not like his fight every day. But I think he's right when he says that if I don't fight, I wouldn't be here. And I think when he's fighting against, let's see, China, like he did yesterday, and he's fighting for better tra- trade deals with China, Japan, and Canada, and, and Mexico, he got them. You know, just like he's, he fought hard, he's fighting hard against the, the, you know, the, the worst pandemic since 1917 and 18, a travel ban 10 days after the first identified case. You know, he's fighting to build the border wall. He had to, it was an uphill climb the whole time. So, you know, my only point is, you know, this is it. This is about the future. This is an America that if these policies are implemented, it makes America the land of the free, home of the brave, unrecognizable. People give in to the false promises of socialism, which is a history of failure. And I outline it in Live Free or Die. You can get it in 20 days. Is would be an unmitigated disaster. For future generations, you know, you look at the assault on free speech, you look at what the media mob has become. Look at that scathing New York Times op-ed yesterday. You look at the president's promises made and kept. That's a rarity in politics. And then you're going to have to make a decision. Do you want do you really want the high taxes that Biden is talking about? There's a Wall Street Journal piece today. The Biden tax hike would be severe if Democrats sweep in November. Make sure your lawyer and financial advisors are standing by because all of that will go away. And because you can't afford that, which they are promising five trillion. He commits yesterday to the new Green Deal. Okay, where are we getting five trillion dollars to spend on the new Green Deal as a down payment? And the you know, the Medicare for all. How did Obamacare worked out? It's about secure borders versus the United Sanctuary States of America, amnesty, free health care, free schools, even if you enter the country illegally. It's about whether or not you want to be energy independent or if you want to get rid of the lifeblood of the world's economy and crash your own economy. It's about, you know, redistribution or free market capitalism, American entrepreneurialism, American ingenuity versus government take over state control of everything with all the everything's going to be secured for you good luck with that it won't work and i'm going to tell you something if you want to know about law and order just look at these these liberal cities that have been run for decades by liberal democrats that would be called a preview of coming attractions if in fact the defunders of the police get in charge those that believe the police are the enemy You know, you want judicial activism, you want to stack the courts, you want to get rid of the Electoral College, you want to turn the Constitution on its head, vote for Biden. Good luck. All I can do is sound the alarm. That's that's what live free and die is all about. Um, To lay out the case to to have an informed electorate, because I can't even do it in any one three hour show, any 15 hour radio week, any 20 hour radio TV week. I can't do it. It's just too much to absorb. And but in, in the thoughtfulness and my hope is, is that people will read and understand the stakes are that high. It's all on the line. 
There's never been a bigger choice election in the history of the United States. And I've said it before. I think I've been right in occasions, but it's nothing like this. It doesn't begin to compare. All right. uh, Let's say hi to Terry real quick. Terry, how are you? Hi. Good, Sean. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Um, I wanted to run an idea by, by you about what I consider voter confirmation. We always received a whole bunch of things in the mail for saying where you're registered to vote or you can receive your ballot in the mail. I wonder why wouldn't we want a voter confirmation in the mail where it would be mandated that once you voted, you receive some type of confidential mail piece that shows who you voted for. This way, every fake vote would have to be also confirmed. For instance, a deceased parent, you would receive an, a mail item at the house that shows that that person actually voted. Then you'd at least you'd be aware that there's fraudulent voting going on. If your pets are signed up to vote, you would receive a confirmation, and then everyone in the household would finally realize that things are, people are voting and pets are voting that don't even exist. So I don't know. It seems so simple to me that we should have a voter confirmation. They can send you everything before the voting. Why not after? You know, I, I, I think we could create a system where we could have the checks and balances that would work. But I don't see it for this election or probably even the next election. Even uh, it is it would have to be done perfectly. It, it would have to have all of those checks and balances for for us to even to begin to consider it. You know, you bring up some really good ideas. But that's not going to happen in 111 days. Um, The idea that they are pushing hard for this tells me that they are desperate. Just like Biden, I think his actions are showing a level of desperation. He's got he is now working the hardest at securing his base because he doesn't have it. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. One hundred and ten days as of tomorrow till you become the ultimate jury. We have an amazing Hannity tonight. 9 Eastern, Fox News Channel. Hope you'll set your DVR. Jerry Falwell, this could be the case that brings the New York Times inner sanctum to the public view. We will watch it closely. Jerry Falwell Jr.'s suit will have the latest on that. All right, it's a new election. Well, the police have now become the enemy. Defund the police. Adopting Bernie's agenda. AOC's agenda. Uh, along with Pelosi and, of course, Schumer. Does Biden need to shore up his base? We'll go over that with Carl Rove, the polls, the latest ads, Matt Gates, Dave Rubin, Leo Terrell, and much, much more. All coming up, 9 Eastern, Hannity on the Fox News Channel. We'll see you tonight at 9. Back here tomorrow. As always, thank you for being with us.